Let's pray together. What can wash away our anxiety, our doubts, our need for approval, our fears, uh, our intimidation uh, from others when they persecute us in subtle ways uh, like gossip and verbal bullying? What can wash away brokenness and fracturing of relationships? What can wash away pride of wanting to be above or better than others? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's the truth. I pray that I would know it more. These people would know it more. Through us, the world would know it more. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. As always, uh, thankful for our worship team for uh, guiding us in worship. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, We've been in there a couple weeks. Matthew 26. Today I'm going to read verses uh, 57 through 75. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, there are Bibles in the back. You are welcome to get up uh, and get one, uh, grab one. You're not going to uh, interrupt anyone, and we would rather you have your Bibles. Uh, I'd actually personally rather you have a book than your phone, but, you know, no offense. I mean, and I, I use my phone to read my Bible all the time. But Matthew 26, uh, 57 uh, through 75, and going through familiar stories. Uh, that are true in the last night before the crucifixion. So here we have Matthew's account of Jesus' kind of mock trial, kangaroo court, so to speak, that was put upon him by the, the priests. And then we have Peter's denial. So verse 57 it says, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance, right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priests in this whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. But the high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? Now Peter was standing outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, You were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, This man was with Jesus of the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, You really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Uh, So we are moving to Easter. Uh, We're moving through the night uh, before the crucifixion, uh, what I would call the last dark night. Uh, Where did I I, I get that statement? Uh, Well, uh, I like the movie The Dark Knight, but it's not from there, okay? First off, uh, in essence... We're also, I'm I'm priding you, I'm challenging you and me uh, to consider what does Lent mean? What does Lent mean? And Lent first means a time that Christians intentionally try to focus and get closer with Jesus. And one way to do that is then also to ask, well, what does the cross mean? What does the cross mean? Uh, We we use it, uh, we use it as, uh, both as a symbol, uh, we use it, uh, for our lives, we, uh, we read about it, we think about it, but I want us to think about what it, what it means. And it, it means a couple things. Uh, first, I believe it means the last dark night happened the night before the cross. Many of us, and I've talked to some this week, have what we might call a dark night of the soul. Uh, that you can experience uh, anxiety, depression, uh, fear, loneliness, uh, even captivity and bondage. Uh, by evil forces. I mean, there's no way around it. By by the devil, he attacks. And when it is darker, and when you are alone, and maybe you're alone in your home, or maybe everybody else is asleep, and I know this, or I think this, because I felt this, you can feel attacked, and you can feel the dark night of the soul. The reality is that that is a lie that those evil forces of the devil use to attack us, The reality is the last true dark night occurred the night before the crucifixion because on the cross what it means is there was a spiritual supernatural victory, a defeat uh, over uh, sin and the devil and death itself. That's arguably the biggest part of the gospel uh, that is our, our faith. And even as I say that now, and, and you know, sometimes we can, we can fall in the trap of formality, but I can even sense, like, sometimes we, we say that, but we really don't 
uh, believe that in our hearts. And nobody would say, especially in the Bible, well, I really don't believe that. But I think it's true because I, I see it in how people live and what they think. And they have, frankly, so many dark nights of the soul that we're not claiming the victory and really leveraging the victory for our lives and for the kingdom and saying, yeah, that was it. That was the last dark night because Jesus won. The cross, the reason we present it, promote it, show it, talk about it, it's victory. What can wash away my... And what I used in the prayer, I mean, those things that I talked about are the results of sin. What can wash away my, whatever it is for you, blank, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Where did the blood happen? It was not a cut or scratch that Jesus got in like some of his teaching or, or walking around. Nothing but it's the blood on the cross. So, we are talking about that night as it's the last dark night and what it means. And so today, I'm going to use, uh, frankly, a lot of Scripture even though this is the passage that we're looking at, the trial uh, and denial of Jesus. That's where we're starting from. But I'm going to use a lot of other scripture. And some will be up on the screen and others I'd ask you, if you're a note taker or stuff, you know, jot down the scripture in terms of the points that I'd like to try to make. Because it's so interesting to me that there's the trial and denial before people, before Jesus experienced the cross. So before people know what's going to happen and know what the cross means. And I say that because I think often we are a lot like the disciples pre-cross or before the cross. And if you you know the Bible, and some of you do, you know there was a dramatic change in the disciples' lives post-cross or after the cross than pre-cross. Okay? After the cross, for some reason... Uh, they were willing to give up their lives uh, and be martyred. And just so you know, all of them were martyred, except for John, who really God let stay alive to show revelation. But before that, he was thrown in a, a vat of boiling water. Uh, that's a true story. So all of them didn't really uh, meet good ends. And that, yet they happily went there. That's a significant change from... Peter's just simple denials uh, in the face of folks who were charging him just with being with the person. Something happened. What happened? Well, yeah, there were some things in their mind and their heart, but the cross happened. And they really started picking up and tracking and following like this, what this means. Victory over sin, over devil and his evil forces, over death itself. And so I think a lot of times we function like the disciples pre-cross, particularly in the Bible Belt, because we're kind of like around Jesus all the time, you know, with all of our, you know, small groups or Bible studies or women's Bible studies or men's groups, or or we're raised like me in Sunday school, and we're very familiar with all the stories. Most of you probably familiar with these stories about Jesus at the trial and the denial of Jesus. So we're kind of, we're like, we're following him like the disciples. We're around him all the time. But when faced with certain things, he says, we'll either put Jesus on trial or we too will deny Jesus. And so, 
uh, we live like Christians, and I, I'm not saying you're not a Christian, okay? But we'll live like pre-cross followers, and they were following Jesus, rather than post-cross followers of Jesus, who were like, man, no fear, serene confidence, ready to go, ready to take a stand. I'm not going to deny anything. So let's look at this. When I say put Jesus on trial, you might have caught me saying that. Like, often we'll put Jesus on trial ourselves. So, you know, and I could talk about this as the context because they were trying to make things up, the priests, uh, to catch him in a trap, to say, oh, you know, really, you're not Lord, okay? You're not who you say you are. And you might say, I would never do that. I've done that. And you've probably done that too. How do you mean? We'll act as Christians, and I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but then things will happen, and, and we will say, well, Jesus, you said this, and so why is it not reflected in my life? Let me give you an example. Two verses that I love, okay? First, uh, Philippians 4.13. It's one of my family's favorite verses. It's on one of my grandmother's tombstones. I mean, it was some of the, literally like some of the first words that I was taught was Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Anybody heard that verse before? Raise your hand if you've heard the verse. Okay, everybody has. Uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. So when I am, and, and some of you may be able to do this now or, or one day, but you know, when, I, when I'm not able to like ever hit a baseball out of Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park, and I'm like, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why can't I do that? And I've never been able to do that. And I would never be able to do that. Because I don't have that set of gifts. Wait, I go, wait, that verse said I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? When someone that I hold dearly, love dearly in my life has cancer at a young age uh, and they lose their earthly battle with cancer even though their heavenly and eternal uh, battle has already been won and defeated and accomplished in Jesus. And I counsel certain folks, and they're like, I'm losing this battle. And yet Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why am I not healed? Why, Jesus, did you not heal me? Why, Jesus, did you not give me this certain set of gifts? Another of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 37. Some of y'all may know this. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Uh, don't y'all love that word, conquer? Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I just love kind of, you know, egotistical that I am and that, you know, and, and, to, be, and to admit the sin and really like we kind of all are with egos. Conquerors, we conquer. In all things we are more than conquerors. And then, Things come up like, you know, an autistic child that you have no control of. And you can't conquer that. Actually, you can't even, like, have a normal conversation. And you don't know if you'll have that conversation in this earthly life. Like, Jesus, I'll put you on trial because, you know, we're conquerors here. And we can do all things. What about this stuff that, come on. Those are just some just pretty dramatic examples. You know, cancer, autism. But 
we function in a world, in, particularly in, in the West, okay, so like, let's say, wealthy countries, where, you know, I was with the, in a group back here that, you know, if you, you know, all of us, I'd say, would probably be in the 5%, we're talking about Honduras, and some of us are in the 1%, some of us here are probably in the 0.25%. However, then we hear, like, in, in subtle ways, yeah, man, you can, you can do almost anything. And yeah, you know, you're conquer, and then you're faced with some realities of the brokenness of this world. And you realize, unless there is, and I believe in supernatural miracles that affect cells that heal cancer uh, and affect vocal ability that give people the, the ability that, you know, Jesus will let the mute speak when he wants. So I believe in that, but it may not be his, his choice. Uh, so sometimes we function like we'll put Jesus on trial because life is just not working out the way we sliced and diced it. You understand what I'm saying? And we will use things that he said or that the Bible says to make our case to God. And therefore, we put God on trial. We, we, we are the Sanhedrin. And saying, you're really not Lord because you're not the Lord that I want, and you're not making my life the way I want. And God would say, and I would say to you, he'd say, no, I'm making it something better than you want. And yes, those things that are are very troublesome, even death itself, I will knit together and use for your growth and my glory, God. And I believe that. So I just shared some kind of insight on some arguments of the heart that I might not always naturally share. And I'm not saying, I, on my worst days, I slightly kind of wrestle with those. But because of Jesus, because he is Lord, uh, they don't have victory over me. But I do think those other things, I don't know all of the things that you wrestle with, but they can be some of those things that I prayed about. Um, the desire for validation, self-promotion, in the midst of gossip, in the midst of, really petty stuff that people try to do to be over and above, okay? And it is petty, but it really impacts us. And we're like, why, Lord, why do I not feel like a conqueror today? And we can put Jesus on trial. Instead, uh, John sixteen thirty three, we mistake ourselves the conqueror when Jesus said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So we really kind of mistake it where, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be the conqueror. No, that's not the gospel. He has conquered. And he does give us courage to walk through these things. And then another time we put Jesus on trial is that we will often manipulate or use his words, okay? It's kind of taken from the other side. Uh, We'll manipulate uh, things that, that he said when we want to live a certain way, like in sin. So, for example, you know, he said here in Matthew 26, uh, not, not Jesus, but they said, hey, man, this man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it uh, in three days. You know, what do you mean by that, Jesus? Okay. And we'll use things that he said to uh, not just manipulate how things are not going in our life, but to manipulate how we want things to go in our life. For example, you know, you are living in some certain sin, 
Okay? And they're explicit sins, you know, addictions, uh, sexual sin that, you know, we, we talk more about. But maybe it's pride. You know, maybe it's appearing like Mr. You know, or, you know, or Mrs. You know, Super Christian or Captain Discernment or, you know, whatever that looks like. Uh, and yet your business practices are, are not ethical and don't have a lot of integrity. And you're just playing a role. And if you lived in other parts of the world, you probably wouldn't play the role of Captain Spiritual Discernment or Mr. or Miss Super Christian, okay? But you're using that to your advantage. And you take verses like, you know, Matthew 7, okay? Matthew 7, it's part of the Sermon of the Mount. And this is, it's not going to be up on screen. I'm just going to read it, Matthew 7. And Jesus said this. And you would say, hey, Jesus said this. Verse 1. It's, it's, this is, I think, argue, they wouldn't say it, but some folks' favorite verse here. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard by which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at that splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, take out that splinter in your own eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your eye. Hypocrite! Take out the beam of wood in your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Uh, I used to use that passage a lot. I mean, like 20 years ago to other Christians. Don't judge me. You know, we're all, you know, we're all equal in the sight of God. I can do whatever I want. Grace, grace, grace. Yes, it's grace, okay? Don't judge me. That's part of what Jesus said. But we can manipulate that and we want to live like we want. I, and even as pastor, I've had that verse thrown out at me, you know? It's like, hey, you're judging me. You think you're, you know, try to put you in a position of, I'm like, man, I'm not trying to, I try to act or think that I'm better than you. I'm not, but... This is what God's Word uh, says. And, well, this is what God's Word says, too. Don't judge me. And man, the devil can really get in that. And so, again, we put Jesus on trial to really make him the Savior that we want for the life that we want, for the selfish life that we want. Okay? Wayne Cadero, some of you know him, and... He wrote a book that we use early in this church's life, and I still highly recommend it. It's real simple. It's called The Divine Mentor. And it basically talks about your need, our need, my need for a daily time in God's Word, and it gives a Bible plan uh, that we don't give the same one, but a Bible plan to read daily, okay, to cultivate a relationship of mentoring with the Lord, and that this would be the divine mentor. But I saw him speak, it was probably, you know, it was over a decade now, and he he gave this uh, analogy that I've never forgotten. I've seen other pastors use it. That often we'll manipulate, like, and as I'm saying, putting Jesus on trial for, for our means, but we'll, we'll manipulate Scripture, okay, and we'll do this. Like, we should do, okay, this. Not that, but just take it. Take the Bible. Heart first. Mouth second. See that? Take it. I'm not telling you to mess up your Bible, and I'm messing mine up now. You know, just your heart first, and then speak it. And instead, and this we're we're in the hotbed of this. We'll do this. We'll take it, mouth it out first, and we won't let it do the work on our heart and our life. Never forgotten that. And I look. I've fallen prey to the 
like that. Okay? And I think when we do that, we are, you know, it's like we're, you know, we're, we're putting him on the stand, say, give me what I need to say to either make my life good, look good or call somebody out so it'll fit in with my puzzle of a kingdom that I'm trying to build. Okay. Second, to go to Peter, the denial. Not only do we put the Lord on trial to be who we want to be, but we, we deny him. And you're like, man, I don't deny Jesus. I mean, here, you know, Peter... He denied the Lord. He probably, I always, one of the reasons I love Peter, he probably always carried that with him wherever he went. You know, I think that, I think that impacted greatly that, that time of weakness, his uh, missionary capacity throughout the rest of his life. But he denied the Lord three times. And so, you know, not only do we put Jesus on trial, but we will be in positions of denial uh, with Jesus. And you're like, no, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. I, I, think we, I think we can do it all the time. I think, you know, we live. Somebody asked me this earlier in the week, you know, are, uh, are Christians still physically persecuted? Yes. I mean, some parts of the country, I mean, Christians are physically even killed because of their faith. Uh, we don't live in that, uh, that culture but sometimes, sometimes you could argue that, that our persecution uh, could be greater. Uh, there's psychological uh, and cultural persecution. Uh, and, you know, what I mean by that is, I mean, look, some of y'all know that if you don't think a certain way, you're automatically wrong. You know, if you don't think a certain way, uh, you're a bigot even. It, it's getting to that point, Unfortunately. And so it does take, uh, Jesus says, John 16, 33, I'm giving you courage. It's taking more and more courage, I think, for Christians to live gospel-centered, biblically, biblically faithful lives uh, in our, our culture and context. Uh, and, and it's tough for me, and I, I, I'm the last person that really wants to come across as like up on some pedestal speaking down. I'm not talking about preacher, but like, you know, living this a life of morality. You know, I want people, people to be comfortable. I, I don't like conflict. I mean, some, that may shock some of you, but I, I really, you know, I, I, like, I like to be liked, and a lot of us like to be liked. And yet, uh, to do that, we might have to kind of chip away at some gospel truth. So I'm not saying I do that, and I'm not saying do that, but I'm saying, like, there is that temptation. You know, a, a, kind of a softball illustration on that is Chick-fil-A. You might hear about what happened to Chick-fil-A this week. Chick-fil-A, you know, they got banned from, I think it was the San Antonio airport, uh, because of their views on, on lifestyles and, I guess, other things. And again, that's a softball. It seems like Chick-fil-A is used all over. But I, I heard it on, on some radio station, and so they got banned from, and that's probably going to be the first airport, and there'll probably be others to follow. I think it was San Antonio. I don't know uh, for sure. But I use that as, as one uh, illustration where there are others that you can just be in conversations. And, and y'all know it's, it's like, you know, it's kind of they're wanting to know what you believe. And so how do we thread this needle between, you know, really just supernatural open arms like Jesus on the cross, all embracing uh, and yet holding to uh, gospel truths, being biblically faithful, and 
not denying him and not denying our Lord. How do you do that? Uh, I think that we continue as a church and a lot of churches are trying to constantly grow in that area where there's never going to be a sense of denial, but there is, there is going to be persecution, okay? I mean, I, I know people who won't go to several churches because of, uh, I think, biblically faithful positions they take. And so what I'm saying to you in this is that often to be affirmed, to be validated, to be popular, we're put in positions where the easy way is to deny all of what, some of what Jesus says, maybe not all of it. And we need, one answer is we need to grow communities of love, support, engagement, that wherever you are, wherever you are, okay, in the midst of any brokenness that we will be uh, embracing. I always say this, man, anybody is welcome here. Anytime, in any way that, that life has shaped them, okay? And I want you to feel that. My thing is, for everybody, for me too, once we come here, once we get here, I don't want any of us to stay the same. I want us to grow in knowledge, but in heart faith, uh, in verbal capacity of being winsome, in not denying, but loving and embracing. And, and that, that can be a process, but we're not staying the same. We're growing, and the key is growing together in that. And not denying the biggest truth is that we're not saved by finances, career, great marriage, great family, great position. We're saved by Jesus. And when we are authentic with our own brokenness, and even when I'm authentic with my own vulnerability and need for validation and conflict with the Lord over pastoral and personal situations that I see, there is a more equal footing at the base of the cross. And people see like, well, they're not above thou or holier than thou. So the more we can embrace really our brokenness, the more we're reflective of embracing Jesus and his salvation and his love for us. And so the last thing that I would get to is instead of trying Jesus, putting him on trial, denying Jesus, our denials, do we truly, and to use a word, and it doesn't always work out this way, but kind of, you know, I love rhymes, kind of poetic. Do we rely on Jesus? Do we try or deny? Do we really rely on Jesus? And I, some of the things I just said, I hope are indicative that we really, look, and I know this because I use myself as an example, do I really rely on Jesus or do I rely more on certain gifts that he's given me and he's given all of us gifts? Or do we rely on certain relationships that are also gifts? Uh, or certain uh, capacities, be that financial or social or relational or positional? Do we really rely on Jesus? And if we really rely on him, going back to the passage, Matthew 26, do we rely on this? Listen, and I'm going to close reading just a few verses, passages. It's going to be simple. Just Bible here for a little bit. Some of you may be like, oh, great. Some of you be like, oh, end of the story or something. Well, you know me. I'll go to Bible before that. Um, Matthew 26, he said, Jesus, I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Do you rely on that? Do you even know that? 
You believe that. I do. It could happen today. It could happen any day. Seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a direct tie. If you want to see in, in all of Scripture, Psalm 110, verse 1, up on screen. David wrote, this is the declaration of the Lord. To my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. All of our enemies uh, are the same enemies as Jesus, as in like sin, Satan, and death. And Jesus made them, those enemies, sat above them. He's above them now. Do you believe this? Do you rely on this, that Jesus will come again? Do you believe and rely on 1 Corinthians 15, 54? Write that down. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. It says, listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. We will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we will be changed. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, death, is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you rely on that? Do I rely on that? The the truth of our nature, the truth of sin, is that we're tricked. We're in this game that that this is clear... And yet we fall, we live kind of, you know what? And this just kind of comes to me. I was talking to Jim Stanley, and, uh, and some of you love this, some of you may hate this, but uh, we were talking about sermon. Like, yeah, sometimes things just come to me in a sermon, like, oh, but here, here we go, kind of off the track. No, but you ever seen the movie The Matrix? Who's seen The Matrix? The first one, the best, okay? And I, it's not like my favorite movie, but I think the devil tricks us like that because, um, and I'm kind of going to give it away here. So, you know, you may cover your ears or something. But the world you're first presented with is really not the world that is. And so we're living in this thing about like dark nights of the soul and sin has victory and people have victory and we're not courageous and we, we need to be validated and, and all of this. And this is, the, this is the real deal. This is the truth. Do we rely on it? No, because we live under an illusion. And we are duped, and we're being duped. But the truth of the gospel is thanks be to God who gives us victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you rely on that? Moving forward, going towards the end of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 8, actually verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, coming up on Easter, in the same way, what did that say? In the same way. Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died in the same way. I love that, how Paul adds that. Do we rely on that when the young person dies of cancer? When we battle physical disabilities? Do we rely on that? And then, I love Revelation. It's actually one of my favorite books. But at the end, or end in this service as we began it, all things new. Revel- Where does that come from? We sang it. Where does it come from? Revelation 21, verse 5. The one seated on the throne. What Jesus said back in Matthew 26. The one seated on the throne says, Look, I am making everything new. 
He was saying that to John 2,000 years ago, not meaning that he's going to make all things new in 5,000 years from thence. Okay? To use a big word there. But he started, he started then with his resurrection. Hold on, making all things new. Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus' words, Look, I am coming soon. Do we rely upon that? Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. Do we rely on that? Verse 12, Revelation 22. Look, again, he says, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. Do we rely on that? I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do we rely on that? Blessed are those. Blessed are those. Blessed are those who believe this. Do we rely upon that? I am making all things new, not in the future, in the present. Do we rely on that? What do we rely upon? What do we rely upon? We are, I don't want you to be duped. I don't want to be duped. I don't want us to live in a false reality. Uh, With all I am, I believe that that is reality, and that's what we can rely on. And we are going to celebrate that reality, yes, at Easter and see that. But (laughs) the truth, every day, Jesus is already raised from the dead. I mean, you can have this victory, this anytime, any moment. We're just here again. The role of the church is to tee you up, to offer you the opportunity. And God takes you off. So I pray that for your life. I pray for all of us who rely on the the mirage of things in this life to open our eyes and see that he's making all things new. And even if you don't think he can make you new or you don't feel new or you don't feel uh, beautiful as we're about to sing about, he can do it in a moment. And it can begin now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the reality of the gospel truth. I pray we rely on it. I pray we see it as we take communion. I pray it as we sing that, that you are making all things new. And uh, this image, this reality is beautiful. And may we grasp it for our personal salvation, for our personal walk with peers, Christian and non, with family members, with troubled relationships. May we rely on you. What can wash away anything and make it beautiful, the blood of Jesus. In your name, amen.